Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport watermelon flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance lemon lime flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90-minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all Noon Hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for... Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. I feel like I need to introduce myself and let our listeners know that this is, in fact, Alyssa Gadeski talking this week. I'm having a little bit of voice troubles. Alyssa, what is what's wrong? Are you sick or did you just have too much fun at last weekend's Noon S retreat in San Diego? Was it that, you know, that ocean air has just taken your breath away? Haley, I think I I am just like out of practice with all of the talking and all of the socializing. I did a terrible job on my social media of like giving anyone who follows me updates on what was going on for the weekend, knowing I would be able to talk about it with you on the podcast to let everyone know. And I think I just haven't talked that much, which is embarrassing, but funny, but great, I guess, because connection was definitely a goal of the weekend. And so I'm needless to say, came out of it very connected. Well, I can relate and I appreciate you still coming on to tell us about the Noon S retreat because it looked like an amazing time from what I did see online. Is your voice okay to tell us about, you know, the weekend? Yes. And I do want to tell you guys. So it was super, super fun. It started Friday afternoon. It was in sunny San Diego and 
everyone came in um, and it lasted through midday on Sunday. So not a super long time, but definitely jam packed with the time that we had. So Friday night we had, let's see if I can remember, there was a noon happy hour and kind of like a little welcome reception for everyone. Wait, wait, can I ask, is a noon happy hour, is that just noon or is this like noon cocktails? There was a signature noon cocktail. It was like a watermelon noon teeny, I think is what it was called. And it was really, really good. That was in play. There was Emma Coburn. So Emma Coburn was definitely, you know, kind of headlining the weekend. And she was there to hang out with all of us. She gave a keynote talk on Friday evening before dinner. Super, super great to hear from her. I mean, we just talked to her in one of our recent Iron Women episodes and she is gearing up for her 2020 season on the road to Tokyo. So we were all really grateful that she took time to come and talk to us and like learn alongside of us for the weekend. Emma Coburn, the reigning bronze medalist from the Rio Olympics in the women's steeplechase. So if anyone didn't check out that previous interview they should definitely go listen to it right and 2017 world champion gold medalist and then i should know this silver this last year 2019 is that right yes i believe she was silver in doha yeah i think you're right and so she was there she wasn't the only track like personality there they also had alicia montano there and alicia is a 800 runner in the track world and honestly her like race resume gets better by the year because many of her results keep being upgraded um, as some doping situations, I guess, kind of come to light and people get removed from results. Alicia continues to be moving up in several races that are like big career races. So she she did talk a little bit about that for us on the weekend, but she is also pregnant with her third child. She's doing about six weeks or so. So it was super fun to just get to know her. She has her own podcast actually with Molly Huddle and they it's called keeping track and they talk about like track things and talk to what's going on in the track world. So people can check that out as well. If they want to get to know Alicia some more. And Alicia played a pretty big role in that New York times dream maternity dream maternity. Yeah. That like, uh, was it op doc that was out in 2019? So that's cool. You get to see like a real live icon a couple real life icons you are one of them too you're a real life icon as well so but wait we're still on friday right so what happened on saturday so saturday they had other talent coming in they had Kristen holmes from whoop which is like the fitness tracker that does the heart rate stuff and helps with your sleep tracking so Kristen holmes talked to us all about sleep and everything there rachel mcbride alicia and then kevin rutherford the noon ceo was there he was on a panel with alicia and rachel they talked a little bit And then in the afternoon on Saturday was I got to speak to the audience about goal setting a little bit and tell them about how my goal setting has evolved through time. Emma talked about how her goal setting and goal failing has been a part of her career. And then Steph Jagger, who she is an author and she wrote a memoir called Unbound, um, which is a great, great book. I recommend anyone who's looking for something to read could read. She walked us through like a goal setting session. So that was super fun. And then on Sunday, we had the one and only Dr. Stacey Sims, who I think we all know and love. She's one of our most popular Iron Women episodes we've ever had. And she talked to us all about female athletes and how we can be using our bodies to kind of what we can do to level the playing field and learn more about what is going on, like 
physiologically, I guess, with our hormones and everything else to compete better, train better, all of the above. And did, did you pick up thing. anything? Wait, did you pick up anything new oh. from Stacey Sims? Like I'm always looking for the new pearl of wisdom. coming So, out of- you know, I'll ha- I still haven't had time to like decompress and look at my notes. So maybe I'll, I'll have to go through that. And I think some of this content will be coming out through the noon social media channels in the coming week. So pay attention to that. But, you know, I did ask her a question about how, when we are doing all sorts of endurance events and we feel like we've thrown our hormones out of whack, like, are there any things that we can say to advocate for ourselves with our primary care doctors and stuff like that? And she did. She actually gave me a couple tests that can be run to just kind of check like hormone levels and things like that. And, you know, I almost wonder if she told us that it's been so long since I've listened to our own podcast with Stacey. So it might even still be in that episode. I'll have to check that too. But she's just always full of of great information. And I think the women there were excited to hear from her. And then professional triathlete Steph Corker took the crew through the whole weekend. So it was a really just nice time. People paddleboarded, people kayaked. I think a lot of people did come to escape winter and San Diego was nice and sunny for us. So I enjoyed all of that time there. And as you can see, I enjoyed it so much that my voice was left at Paradise Point, apparently. <laughs> and you're staying in San Diego, right? Because you're still in San Diego because you are going right from your your relaxing noon S retreat straight into uh, Hillary Biscay smash camp um, happening this weekend, right? So you just like that you're you're living the SoCal life. I am, you know, I'm just like basically a Californian, I guess I'm taking in all of the fresh food options that don't really exist in Charlottesville as much. But oddly enough, it has been almost warmer than it has been in California so far back home. But hopefully, you know, I'll be able to escape some winter weather at home by staying out here a little bit longer. But yes, I have the Hillary Biscay's camp this week on tap that starts Thursday afternoon. So I have a few days to rest my voice so that hopefully it's a little better for everyone. I can tell you guys about um, how camp is going next week, but Haley, we have some big announcements to talk to everyone about, but I do want to just check in. How's, how's marathon training going? (laughs) So I had a little bit of a rough weekend, but to be honest, I was, I was having a little bit of like a meltdown. And then one of my really good friends reminded me that it has only been like a month since the California international marathon. And even though I feel like trials are so soon, I mean, they are end of February and I don't feel ready, but I have a little bit of time and it is a weird little transition to do two marathons, three months apart when you, my last standalone marathon was 11 years ago. So I'm trying to navigate that transition. I, some days I do better than others and it has been a little rough to be honest. It's been a little rough, but that's okay. Today was a new day. Today was wonderful. And, um, I'm hopeful I'm even more hopeful for tomorrow. So, um, hopefully next week I'll have more, more optimistic check in there for you, but, um, it's, it's a little rough. I, yeah, I, I don't know what to say more than that. Well, we did talk this weekend a lot about how, you know, Des Linden came up a lot in people's conversations and talking about inspiration and her mantra of just keep showing up. And I mean, if anyone knows the marathon, she certainly does. So I'll leave you with that. Just like remind yourself of that. And clearly you just keep showing up to those training sessions and it'll turn around for you. Des Linden, always the fountain of wisdom. 
I am very, very excited about today's announcement. I hope people have been following our social media and getting the announcements of the announcement. And now we are finally ready to unveil what is happening. The big iron women podcast announcement. Are you going to, are you going to do the honors, Alyssa? Haley, I am so excited to tell everyone that the Iron Women podcast is going live at the U.S. Marathon Olympic Trials for an event on the Wednesday before the race. Oh, my goodness. I hope I'm invited. No, of course I'm invited. But that is right. Um, We are putting together a live podcast. It will have a panel of women who are racing at the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. This panel is happening Wednesday, February 26th. It will be from about 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. That gives you a little bit of time for doors to open before it actually starts. But we're going to try to tape it all live, have live streaming in person. You can come see it. Tickets are limited. They're available at livefeisty.com. It is $20 per ticket. And the panel is happening at the Oxwork Business Club in Atlanta, Georgia, on the Wednesday before the race. The race is on Saturday, February 29th, Leap Day. So if you do want to check out more information about that is going to be forthcoming in the coming weeks. We'll announce our panelists and we will announce all the details, but go to livefeisty.com in the meantime to snag your limited edition ticket because I'm, I'm very hopeful they'll come fast. And Alyssa, you're going to be there, right? It's not just me. Oh yeah. It is the full, the full ensemble is going to be live. So, and I promise my voice will be healed by then so that you guys don't have to listen to this. It's going to be super fun. I can't wait to go to Atlanta and like soak in some of that energy. I'll actually be going en route to Ironman New Zealand, which is the Ironman I'm leading my season off with. So I'm going to like take all of, yeah, all of the trials energy that I can with me. And I'm super excited to be able to make this event. There will probably be some food, most likely some raffle items. So, so much good stuff to come and you'll get to hear me talk to Haley more in person. What could this be better than that? never happens. You and I are never in the same place at the same time. I mean, this hasn't happened in years. So I'm very excited about this, this opportunity. And hopefully we get to meet some of our listeners in Atlanta as well. And hopefully there's a lot of hype over the, um, the Olympic trials that are happening in Atlanta that same week, but maybe I'll bring you some forward. Thai food for dinner, Haley, because I think that was like 10 years ago, our last in-person meeting that wasn't like at a race, super rushed for the both of us, we were getting Thai food. So we should just continue that tradition because I love Thai food. We could definitely do that. But again, livefeisty.com has all the details. We will be announcing the panelists in the coming weeks. There's some great women who are going to be on this panel. You are going to come, want to come and uh, see us in person and definitely looking forward to it. February 26, 2020, Atlanta, Georgia. It's the place to be. Haley, we have a couple other sponsor announcements to talk about for as we continue to kick off our 2020 Iron Women podcasting season as well. And we want to give a huge welcome back to Form Goggles, who are coming back as the sponsor for 2020. And you can go to formswim.com to check out what those goggles are all about. Haley and I have both been swimming with them, and it's super cool to be able to see a lot of swimming metrics just right there in in the eye, in the eye socket, in the eye gasket, like as you're in swimming, the eye it's cup. just, it's in the, in eye, the cup. eye cup. <laughs> it's right there in front of your eye. You can't miss it. There is no excuse for losing count. There's no excuse for at least not knowing your pace. I mean, I, it doesn't do the work for you. You have to still hold the pace, but you can't say you didn't know. 
And we have a lot of fun ideas with contests and other things that we'll be doing with Forum throughout the year. So just keep tuning in and we'll let you know more information about that. And another one of our sponsors, we mentioned Zelios Skincare last week, but during the month of January, Zelios is accepting new team applications. So if your triathlon team or whatever team you're a part of is interested in being sponsored by Zelios, go to teamzelios.com, check out the Team Zelios Athletes tab there's a little drop down and it says sponsor your team and that will lead you right to the application you can fill that out and they're making a big push and taking some new applications during the month of january so definitely check that out and as always you can use the code ironwomen for a very nice discount on all the products at teamzilios.com Haley, we did have a couple mailbag questions come in, but we had a long intro and we have a great guest coming up. So we're, we're going to dig into those a little bit next week. But just a reminder to keep sending in mailbag questions. Thanks to everyone who is sending them in. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. You can send Haley and I your questions and we'll answer them in an upcoming episode. This week's guest is Teresa Helsel, and Teresa is a Florida-based amateur triathlete and a dermatology physician's assistant. We caught up with Teresa when she was fresh off a racing binge that culminated in Ironman Florida last November and asked her all the questions we could think of related to skincare and endurance sport. We asked her questions like, is it okay to race in a sleeveless race kit? Can sunscreen affect your sweat rate? And why is sunscreen being compared to margarine? Yes, we realize it might be odd to be talking about sunscreen during the Northern Hemisphere winter, but Teresa tells us what we should be doing to take care of our skin year-round, and she answers all of our sun-burning questions. <laughs> we'll have Teresa right after the break. This is Haley, and I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim Goggles and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. Hi, Teresa. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you guys. You are an Ironman competitor and a dermatology PA. And while most of this podcast is going to be focused on skin health, I know that you also just recently raced Ironman Florida about a week ago. Can you give us a little background on your endurance sport history and tell us about your most recent race in Panama City Beach? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I started off as a runner. I ran track and cross country in high school and a little bit in college and had always been a little bit of an athlete. I grew up with three brothers, and so I was always drawn to sport. And I I was kind of the person who was always like pretty good at a lot of things. So with running, you know, I loved running. I wasn't like a superstar, you know, it was enough to earn points for my team, you know, age group finisher in most races, but I wasn't like a stud by any means. So the sport of triathlon really appealed to me because, you know, I was athletic enough to be able to handle all three disciplines and 
I kind of like the variety. So ran my first marathon in my early 20s and kind of got into running quite a bit. And then it really wasn't until I hit my 30s that I really got into the sport of triathlon, which I've just fallen in love with. I just, I love it so much. And it took me a while to really get involved in some of the longer distance races. But yeah, this past week, well, week and a half, I guess, I competed in Ironman Florida, which was my third full Ironman. And I was coming off of kind of a busy fall season. I don't know exactly what came over me, but I did Augusta 70.3 at the end of September. Did pretty well there. I was, I think, sixth age group. And then was at Wilmington. I did a 70.3 in Wilmington. And then two weeks later, (laughs) did Ironman Florida. So I really don't know what I was thinking. It was a lot for me to, to bite off, but so glad I did it. Ironman Florida this year was really, really cold which was uncharacteristic of most of the races I do because I live in Florida. So most of the time I do hot weather races, but the start of Ironman Florida this year, as you guys probably know, was like 40 degrees, (laughs) which for me was really quite chilly. So, you know, the biggest concern though was really the water conditions because they have canceled the swim at Ironman Florida in years past because of rough water. So for me, um, that was actually my bigger concern because I get motion sickness pretty bad. (laughs) And I was terrified because I actually DNF'd the Gulf Coast half earlier this year because I got sick and I couldn't finish. So anyways, fortunately, the water was pretty calm. I was happy with my swim. It was pretty comparable to what I had done in past races. So came out of the swim, got on the bike. But I don't know. You guys obviously have a lot more race experience than I do at this distance, but I was really nervous because I had never cycled in like 40 degree weather before. So just like everybody does, especially when they're freaking out, like everyone's like super concerned about the weather and us triathletes, we like to try to micromanage everything we do. So I was debating like, how much do I wear on the bike? What do I wear on the bike? And so I decided that I was going to wear like a this old pink windbreaker. I totally look like an old woman. I think I got it at Walmart. And I had that on for like the first 10 miles of the bike until I realized that that was creating like a sail. (laughs) So my first like 10 miles in the bike, I'm like, why am I going so slow? And then I realized it's because I had this ridiculous windbreaker on. Anyways, uh, finished on the bike. I tried to keep my power in check because my my strength is the run. But the wind, headwinds were pretty intense. It's a pretty flat course, so you're literally just cycling the whole time. There's really not much time to take rest for your legs. And I was pretty much on pace. My goal, you know, for me was to to get somewhere in the 11-hour range. That was my ideal goal. But I got to the end of my bike, and despite everything I did to try to conserve battery life on my Garmin, my Garmin died. (laughs) So when I got onto the run... I didn't really have a gauge as to how fast I was going. I knew sort of when I started the race. So I was literally like calling off to people on the sidelines, like, what time is it? (laughs) So that I could try to figure out exactly what time it was to see what pace I was going. And I was asking fellow competitors how fast they were going, but I kept getting people from Europe. So they were telling me their pace in kilometers. So it became kind of comical, but anyway, I started getting some hamstring issues had a little bit of GI issues. So my run, I was a little disappointed with, and I ended up coming in a little short of my goal, but I was happy. I felt like I put together a good race and look forward to kind of letting my body rest for a bit. So it was a fun experience all all told, but um, I think I'm ready to take a little rest from full Ironmans for a little bit. Well, with all of the ups and downs and the problem solving (laughs) that comes with it, it sounds like a real iron 
Iron Man experience. <laughs> and so congratulations on your finish. And I, I have to you. say with the, the racing close together like that, I think you're a woman after my own heart. So, um, you know, I think there's, there's definitely lessons to be learned from doing it that way. And, you know, sure. strengths to be had. So, but enjoy your rest. And we, we do have you on the podcast today to talk to you about dermatology. So, Absolutely. You are a dermatology PA. So can you tell us what exactly that is and what made you decide to take that path? Yeah, that's a great question. So a PA in general, a physician assistant is a medical provider who works in collaboration with a supervising physician where we essentially evaluate, treat, um, diagnose, prescribe, perform procedures um, as a dermatology PA, I'm fortunate enough to work with a board-certified dermatologist. And in my practice, you know, I do everything that I listed before. I also have the opportunity to perform surgical procedures. I perform um, skin cancer exams. I treat pretty much every condition of the hair, skin, and nails. Um, you name it, we see it. You know, some dermatologists focus a little bit on cosmetics. Um, I don't really do that quite as much. I, I definitely favor more the medical side and, and surgeries are really kind of my passion, but we, you know, being in Florida, definitely deal with a lot of, um, skin cancer. So, you know, I think it, it d depends on practice to practice, depending on what a PA's supervising physician feels comfortable with them doing. But in my practice, I get a lot of autonomy. And so it's, it's a really great fit for me, just giving me a lot of variety in my day. And we mentioned your race in Ironman, Florida, and you mentioned it being on the chillier side, but I am <laughs> curious as a dermatology PA and an Ironman triathlete, can you walk us through your race day skincare routine? Yes. So there's really three main things that I probably find most important pertaining to my skin. First of all, it is like a ritual. I have to cut my toenails <laughs> the night before a race. Because too often I have dealt with, I mean, we're always going to deal with black toenails and bruised toenails, but too often I've dealt with my toenails, like cutting into my skin. And so that's really important. It seems trivial, but for those of us who've been there, we know you've got to trim your toenails. So that's one. But two, you know, obviously sun protection is really important, especially being in a place like Florida. Well, really anywhere for that matter, because even on colder, cloudy days, we're still getting sun. So it is really important to have a, a sun protection routine. So, you know, it's tough when you're doing triathlon, especially if you're going to be marked. The people who are doing the marking hate it when you have sunscreen on prior to being marked because the marker doesn't stick, right? So oftentimes you get marked, you get into transition, and you're so concerned with everything else going on that sometimes you just totally forget about putting on sunscreen. And although it might not come back to bite you in some of the shorter races, when you're doing long course triathlon and you're out on the course for a long period of time, um, it really does matter. So for me, for longer course races, always use tritats so that I can make sure I have those on like the night before. So in the morning, I'll go ahead and lather up with sunscreen before I even get to the venue. And then I actually keep sunscreen in my transition kit or where, whatever the transition situation is. I'll make sure I have sunscreen so that I do take, you know, just a few seconds extra to reapply. For me, it's worth it. I'd rather spend an extra 10 seconds putting on sunscreen and transition than dealing with like the effects of sunburn afterwards. You know, not all races have sunscreen on the course, so I always make sure I have my own. So that's super important. 
And then the other big thing that I have to work watch out for is, of course, chafing, <laughs> which that's no fun for anyone. And so especially with wetsuit, you know, I always make sure I have like Vaseline or Aquaphor to use in the chafe areas, like particularly the back of my neck. And then I'll also keep some kind of a like chafing balm in my kit area as well for transition so that I can apply that to areas that chafe. But for me, that's kind of my biggest stuff with skincare. You know, there's other stuff afterwards that you, of course, have to deal with that we might talk about later. But, you know, triathlon is certainly hard on your skin without a doubt. And Teresa, I'm curious, do you race with a sleeved, like a longer sleeved tri top or do you do a tank top? I mean, does that matter? Or if you apply enough sunscreen, is it okay to be in a sports bra or a tank top? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, I am no- notorious for being like a really heavy sweater. And even though I live in Florida, like personally, I really don't like the heat very much when it comes to racing. So when I race, I do actually try to, w- I-, I take the less is more technique because when you think about it, you know, you- we sweat for a reason. It's it's evaporative cooling is-, is the mechanism that's trying to keep us cool. Now in humid areas like Florida, that doesn't work quite as well as if I was out West. But the idea is, is more surface area is going to give you more opportunity for cooling. At the same time, more surface area will get you more opportunity to be burned. (laughs) So I think really it comes to personal preference. When I do my long cycling rides, I actually do wear arm sleeves. Doesn't matter the day, but it's because I find that I don't want to be bothered to reapply sunscreen. So I will wear SPF sleeves. But when racing, I really just want to feel fast. And I find that less clothing for me is, is better. Um, but I know, you know, everybody probably has their own preference. And Teresa, we're recording this interview in November, which is pretty close to winter in the Northern hemisphere, but skincare is obviously something we should be thinking about year round. So is there anything specific to skincare that endurance athletes should be focused on like this time of year? Yeah. So I think one thing that people tend to do, especially when the weather gets colder and cloudy is they really underestimate how much sun they actually still are getting on those cloudy and cool days. So I think sometimes our sun protection is directly associated with with heat without really kind of taking into consideration how much sun we are getting. You know, like I said, I'm in Florida, so we don't really get true winters here. (laughs) But um, I think other considerations, you know, are things like, like wind burn. I mean, that's a very real thing, especially for cyclists who try to go out on a windy, cold day. So making sure that they're protecting from that and honestly using just a petroleum base like Aquaphor or Vaseline can help with that significantly. I think our lips take a massive beating both from the wind and the sun. <clears throat> and that's something I even experienced in Panama City, which I hadn't really before, was because the bike was so windy and cold because my lips just got totally beat up. So in hindsight, I, I wish I had put something on my lips. But I really think that people tend to neglect the strength of the sun in the winter months and they just need to keep that routine up you know, every day, uh, pretty much all year long, regardless of the temperature. Teresa, you mentioned that you do skin exams and that seems like something that maybe someone could schedule during the off season or should be scheduling (laughs) during the off season. So can you tell us what it's like to get a skin exam? Yeah. So first of all, anyone who's an athlete and actually anyone (laughs) really should think about getting a skin cancer screening done at least once a year. 
What this allows your provider to do, your dermatologist or dermatology PA, is to get a baseline of basically all of the lesions that are on your body. So that way, if things change or new things appear, it gives us a baseline so that we know, you know, if there's something that we need to be concerned about. So sometimes I know it can be a little intimidating because you're like, okay, what are they going to look at? Like, what is it going to be awkward? What's going to be like? So in our practice, and I suspect this is much like, you know, most others, you know, you come in, you know, we, we take a history, we get to know you, we, you know, talk a little bit about any concern that you might have. For me, I definitely am interested if, if a person is an athlete or not, because there are certain things that I, I would do a little bit differently with my athletes versus people who are inside more, but um, I'll get to that in just a bit. But yeah, for skin cancer screening, usually we'll have patients change down into their underwear, really whatever they feel most comfortable with. Women are, can opt to leave the bra on, take it off, whatever the fact, they can leave their underwear on or off. Honestly, it's whatever their comfort level is. We will have them wear a drape. So obviously we protect for modesty. And then for me, what I do is I have, I have a system, you know, I we'll start with the scalp. We'll check the scalp. We'll work our way down face, ears, you know, back, arms, legs, genitals. If the patient, you know, requests us to check there. I mean, there's no place that is off limits for skin cancer, especially when it comes to melanoma. So we just try to be super thorough and make sure that we're checking everywhere. We actually check the, the mouth inside the mouth as well. We'll check, you know, between the toes, we'll check pretty much everywhere that there's skin, because we know that there's some types of skin cancers that are more prone to sun-exposed areas like your basal and squamous cell skin cancers. But melanoma really has more of a genetic predisposition, so those can occur anywhere. So it's really important for us to be super thorough. And, you know, I suspect any any good dermatologist nationwide would, would do the same exact thing. And you mentioned that there are some things that you look for with an endurance athlete or just, in, you know, someone who kind of says maybe even just they're a runner or something when they come in and see you versus a member of the general public. So can you tell us what you're looking for with those specifics? Yeah. So I think a lot of um, endurance athletes are mindful. I mean, no one likes to have a sunburn. So I think we are mindful of sun protection, but there are some key areas that I always am really particular about, and that's um, the sides of the face the ears, the back of the neck, the hands and the forearms, and then also the lower legs. Because what I find is that we tend to be pretty good about putting sunscreen on our face in the top area, but a lot of people neglect to put sunscreen on their legs. And the number one area that we actually are finding melanoma in uh, Caucasian women is in uh, actually the back of the calf, which is really interesting. I've actually done three melanoma excisions in the last year. Same thing, back of the calf, all on females who are athletes. So that's something that we really have to think about. So I really reiterate um, the importance of sun protection for those areas. I'm also mindful, too, of medications that they might be taking because there are some medicines that can make us more sensitive to the sun. So sometimes if they're on medications that may create more sun sensitivity, I'll talk to them about maybe talking to their primary care doc about changing them to something that might not be quite as unsensitive. So, you know, there's just a few key things and especially being in the sport myself, you know, it's just easy for me to relate. And, you know, there's certain things that I just know to look out for. So it's kind of funny, but sometimes I'll be, you know, racing or training and my mind will start to wander and I'll just kind of look around at some of my fellow, you know, training buddies and just, you know, perform like subconscious skin checks on them. Just make sure like everything's looking good, but definitely, you know, those are key areas. And, And for men, particularly, Ears and the back of the neck are really common places for us to 
see skin cancer and oh, top of the head too, especially for people whose hair might be thinning a little bit. I am definitely guilty of not putting adequate sunscreen on my lower legs. So I appreciate that tip because that's not, I mean, it is one of those things I definitely neglect. But Teresa, you've worked with our sponsor, our podcast sponsor, Zilio Skincare. And every June, they celebrate Ginger Awareness Month as a kind of tongue-in-cheek way to encourage people to be sun smart. And they always use the example of people with red hair and fair skin. (laughs) Right. Does skin color really determine your risk of sunburn and skin cancer, or is there more to it? It sounds like there's a pretty big genetic impact to melanoma. So I'm really curious to hear your take on that. Yeah. So there's, I mean, we can really get into a lot of nerdy science with this topic. So I'll try to keep it very, um, you know, I'll try to keep it as simple as possible, but yeah. So we all, everybody, every skin tone has a, a pigment basically called melanin and melanin is a pigment that is, is released actually as a protective mechanism against UVA uh, damage from the sun. So theoretically, if you've got someone who produces a lot more melanin, which we see in people who have darker skin, in theory, they are better protected from, from the sun's rays, which means people who have red hair, they lack um, melanin, at least a certain type of melanin that is secreted that, that protects from the UV damage that's created. And it's important to understand that skin cancer, I mean, if you think about cancer, right, as, as a as an entity, cancer are just atypical cells, so abnormal cells that are growing at an abnormal rate. And so that, by definition, is cancer. So what happens is when the sun, which, you know, as much as I love the sun, it is, you know, in a way it's carcinogenic. So what it does is it affects the DNA of our cells to basically alter them and makes them a little bit abnormal. So when those abnormal cells start to proliferate, that's what ultimately turns into a skin cancer. So when the sun hits the skin of someone who has more concentration of melanin, it's basically like a natural sunscreen, if you will, for the body. So someone who has less melanin is not going to have as much protection against that UV rays. So their cells are going to be more susceptible to DNA damage, which can then make them more susceptible to skin cancer. Now, that's not to say that people with dark skin are completely immune to skin cancer. We do know that the rates are less except when it really comes to melanoma, because like I said, melanoma, it's multifactorial. They just have more of a genetic predisposition for melanoma. But for those non-melanoma skin cancers, um, absolutely, people who are fairer are definitely at higher risk. I hope that makes sense. It definitely does. And, you know, one thing that kind of pops into my head too, as you talk about this is with sports research and science, you know, there's limited data on, kind of the research with women versus Mm -hmm. men and studies like that. Do you find anything or do you tend to think that a similar thing happens like with the research that goes into skincare and things, or is it almost like, I would almost wonder if maybe they pay more attention sometimes with women and things like that, you know, just because women are often putting things on their skin and doing things with their skin and and stuff like that. Like, do you think that the research with skin cancer kind of has, has swayed one way or another? Gosh, that's a really good question. You know, I don't, I honestly do not know of any, you know, peer reviewed research study, like legitimate studies that have looked at gender differences. There very well could be. Um, I'm just not aware of them. You know, most of the studies that I've seen are classified people more according to skin type as opposed to gender. 
But that's that's a really interesting basis for a study. I think you're onto something with that. <laughs> yeah, because I guess, I, I, you know, the next part of that question is, of course, like, do hormones play a role in they Like, is there different times of the month when, you know, your hormones are affecting how your skin reacts to the sun? You know, I guess that's something I've always kind of wondered. Absolutely. Well, we do know that hormones, especially estrogen, does contribute to a condition that we see in a lot of um, endurance athletes for women, particularly, and that's something called melasma. And melasma usually starts appearing around 30, in the 30s. It's like the skin starts to change a little bit. And the sun combined with that hormonal and a little bit of genetic influence can create that kind of patchy brown that some women start to get on their face, tends to get a lot worse in the sun. And those that is contributed directly, and we know this for a fact, can be uh, directly affected by pregnancy hormones and also by birth control. So that alone is, is almost a, always a women-specific I take that back. I have seen a few men, but it's a very small percentage. It's mostly a, a condition that affects women. And so that that is interesting that you bring that up because there are some sun-specific sun, sun conditions that only affect women. That was a great question. Good job, Alyssa. So going back to, to sunscreen and talking more specifically about sunscreen and being sun smart, I guess. I've heard that there are two types of sunscreen, mineral-based and chemical-based. Can you tell us about the difference and is one better than the other for endurance athletes? Okay. Yeah. So yes, <laughs> there are definitely differences between the two. There's definitely ones that I prefer. Um, but at the end of the day, there's really kind of pros and cons to both. Although I definitely always recommend more of the physical sunscreens. And here's, here's the reason. So chemical sunscreens, some of your typical ones are things like oxybenzone, avobenzone, octinoxate. Um, you'll see them on a lot of sunscreens, especially sunscreen that's been added to moisturizers and makeups. Pretty much exclusively, they're going to use chemical sunscreens. Now, the downside to chemical sunscreen is a lot of people are sensitive to them, so it can cause people to break out and get rashes. We see that a lot in my office simply because we deal with people with rashes, and a lot of times it's actually caused by the chemicals from the sunscreen. But the way that chemical sunscreens work is it's basically absorbed by the skin, and then it's, it converts it when the rays hit the skin, um, it basically is converted, and then it's released almost like heat. It's an interesting process, but basically it requires absorption to take place. The difference is with our physical sunscreens, our physical blockers, which are more zinc, titanium, and now some are using iron oxide. Those are literal molecules that sit on top of the skin that work by reflecting the, the, the sunlight, the UV rays. So because you don't get that absorption, it's going to be a lot less offensive to the skin a lot of people are going to be able to tolerate it a lot more. And it's really interesting. So this is kind of a little bit of an aside, but in dermatology, there's this really funny, um, it's funny to me, but they, they basically choose like a yearly chemical that is like the offending agent of the year. It's like the allergen of the year. So in years past, especially with the advent of like people using a ton of essential oils and things, there's there's something that's kind of trending. And the trend for three years ago was actually oxybenzone, which is a component of a ton of chemical sunscreens. But yet we found that upwards of 40% of the population is actually allergic or sensitive to that chemical sunscreen. So I just say across the board, 
try to stick with physical blockers, the zinc or the titanium. The bummer, the bummer with some of them, and not all of them, but some of them, and what people find resistant to using is sometimes they find that it leaves a little bit of a white cast. And especially if you try to apply it to already wet skin, it doesn't blend in very well. So it's really important to get those sunscreens on or try to get them on before you start to sweat. The benefit, too, of physical blockers is that it's going to start um, working right away, whereas when you put on chemical blockers, you have to wait about 20 minutes for it to be effective. So the physical blockers, because you've got that immediate um, response, you know, I just find that it's superior in use in triathlon because that's when you want it is like right then. But I also like the fact that it's not nearly as irritating to the skin. And Teresa, I've always been a little nervous sometimes with like the race supplied sunscreen that they offer yeah. because it's often that like very thick kind of, I call it like glue like type of sunscreen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I've always just kind of mentally had this image that it would affect my like sweat rate, my ability to really like release like the heat and everything like through my pores. And so I've always tried to keep like a lighter sunscreen on hand as something I use. Is there any truth with this or am I just following some kind of a total myth there? <laughs> I think I, I have to say that I, I do feel that it's a little bit of an urban legend, the whole sweat rate um, sunscreen thing. There, there actually have been studies done that have shown that sweat rate is is really not affected by, by sunscreen. Now, having said that, if you're using a super thick sunscreen that you've applied layer after layer after layer, I could see how possibly the sweat, the water molecules perhaps cannot be released quite as easily. But if you're just using your general use sunscreen, then there really isn't, uh, it's not going to affect sweat rate. Sweat rate is going to be affected more just simply by the humidity of the air, like how much water is in the air, because that's where the water needs to go. So if the air is already saturated with water, then you're not going to have very much cooling with evaporation. And then you put sunscreen on top of that. So then you're like, oh, you know, is it the sunscreen? But really, we can't blame sunscreen for that. But to your point, most of the on-screen, um, the on-core sunscreens that they get, I mean, they're all about bulk, right? So they're going out to like, you know, Costco, Sam's, whatever, and they're just buying tons of just chemical-based sunscreen. And, you know, I'm one who, if I need sunscreen and I need it on the course, I'm not going to be like a sunscreen snob <laughs> and not use it. I mean, personally, I, I you know, I, I get nothing from Zelios, but I, I love Zelios. So that's my sunscreen of choice on the course for me. But if I'm in need, I will turn to whatever sunscreen they have available. Because like I said, I'd rather be protected than deal with being burned afterwards, which is absolutely miserable. What about sunscreen's effect on the environment? I believe starting in 2021, Hawaii is banning all sunscreens containing chemicals believed to lead to coral reef bleaching. Is sunscreen bad for the environment? So, yeah. So that all is related to that chemical-based sunscreen that I was talking about. So the octanoxate, oxybenzone, avobenzone, all of those ingredients that you'll see on a typical sunscreen bottle, those are the things that we're finding you know, that has accumulated over the years. And it really is, it's having a significantly detrimental effect on coral reefs. Being in Florida, you know, we have a lot of, you know, people who scuba and snorkel down in South Florida, and it's the same kind of thing. They're seeing that the coral reefs are being significantly affected. And yeah, to your point, Hawaii is banning it. So does that mean banning all sunscreen? No, that just means the sunscreens that contain those specific chemicals, but 
that does not mean the physical blockers. So an all zinc and all titanium or predominantly zinc or titanium sunscreen is okay because those molecules are, um, they're organic molecules. And so they're not going to have the effect that the chemical molecules will have. But I think it's a great thing, honestly, because I, I do think, and, and just especially in dermatology, I'm seeing a lot of people who have sensitivity to these chemical sunscreens anyway. So I definitely think it's a really good trend to move more towards the, um, the physical blockers. And not to really harp on the sunscreen here, but we do have another question for you because uh, we read in Outside Magazine earlier this year, there was an article titled, Is Sunscreen the New Margarine? And the author cited new research that claimed that while, yes, sunscreen prevented skin cancer, it also prevented sun exposure that could lower the risk of other potentially more harmful diseases. What was your reaction to the article? Yeah, so I'm always interested in any article that pertains to my profession. So I read it, you know, actually get outside magazine. So I read the I read the article. You know, I have to disagree with the stance of the author on that. You know, I think he brought up good thinking points, but I don't think that there's an, enough evidence or data to substantiate um, the claim that was being made. And the reason I say that is because, you know, especially being a medical professional, we we basically treat off of what of the factual evidence that we know and that we're given. And I think a lot of the um, information that was pulled in that article was taken from like observational studies. So there wasn't a whole lot of science behind the claims that were made. And, you know, if you kind of stick to the facts, really what it comes down to Vitamin D, it, it is something that is not going to be found naturally in our body, obviously. And we also know that the the sun, the UVB rays, do interact with our skin to convert it into vitamin D, which is the active form of vitamin D. So the theory is that, well, okay, if we need the sun's rays to convert into vitamin D, which is important for our bones because it affects our calcium levels. So if we have low vitamin D, we're going to have weak bones. We're going to be more prone to osteoporosis, more prone to fractures, which that's obviously a bad thing. So we don't want to be low in vitamin D. But the theory is, is that, well, then if you use sunscreen, then you're going to be blocking the uptake of this, of the UV rays that can convert into vitamin D. So, I mean, in theory, it's like, okay, so let's think more about that though. So first of all, there was actually this really awesome study that just came out. That was a meta-analysis of like 60 observational studies. Again, I know I'm getting a little sciencey here, but it's really relevant because it just came out. And they basically took a look at a, about 60 plus studies that looked at this very topic and they could find no conclusive evidence that said that the sunscreen was affecting the absorption of vitamin D. The other, the other side of that is, you know, we know that the sun is causing damage. We know that the sun is causing skin cancer, right? So what is the trade-off? Do you really want to forego protecting your sun and risk disfigurement risking, you know, surgeries, risking, you know, damage to your skin by way of having to get skin cancers cut out because you're worried about vitamin D. So even if all of that were true, and even if, even if sunscreen did somehow inhibit the absorption of vitamin D, the alternative is you take a supplement, you can take a vitamin D supplement. So in my mind, I would much rather take a vitamin D supplement if I was deficient, than set myself up for what could potentially be 
you know, a, a life-threatening condition of skin cancer. So obviously I get, a, I get a little fired up about this in part because, you know, part of my job is I perform surgeries and I assist in surgeries of people who have invasive skin cancers, skin cancers on their nose, on their face, on their ears. And when these cancers are removed, it can significantly disfigure a person. You know, I unfortunately also deal with patients who come in who've had lesions on them that weren't checked. They really weren't, you know, too worried about it. We biopsy it and it's a stage four melanoma, you know, and they spent their whole life in the sun. They really didn't protect themselves very much. And it's heartbreaking to me because these are things that are so preventable when, if you just take the effort to use a little bit of sun protection, you know, I always joke with my patients because I am an endurance athlete and I live in Florida. So I am probably the tannest dermatologist you're going to see. <laughs> and I, and I, and I own that because I love being outside and I love the sun and I love the outdoors, but I also work in a profession where I see the very real effects of the damage of the sun. So I do my best. I do my best to exercise in early hours so that I'm not there in the heat of the day. I do my best to protect from, you know, the sun with my sunscreen and my, you know, sun protective clothing. But honestly, if, if nothing else, if a person can just come in yearly to get their skin cancer screenings done, we can catch these things early so that it doesn't progress. So when I, when I look at articles like the one that was published, I just find that so sad because it's making people prioritize their vitamin D level over protecting their skin from something that could potentially kill them. So at the end of the day, <laughs> if you're, if you're low in vitamin D, there are definitely better and other ways to get it than being unprotected in the sun. The other thing with that though, is I would not recommend just starting a vitamin D supplement on your own. Um, I would definitely talk with your primary care doc first, find out what your levels are, find out if you even need it. And if you do need it, then talk to them about what the proper level is, because just like anything, too much of something can be bad. And you can also develop a vitamin D toxicity if you take too much of it. So I would just make sure that you're working in tandem with your, with your, with your doc and, um, just make sure that your levels are in check, but don't, don't sacrifice your skin for that. You know, wear your sunscreen, protect, do the best you can. Okay, Teresa, I know you alluded to this earlier, but let's pretend an athlete does a race and doesn't properly cover herself or apply sunscreen and she ends up with a sunburn. <laughs> is there anything she can do or is the damage just done? She just needs to plan her cancer checks for the rest of her life. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So, so I'm not, I mean, I am not perfect. And I grew up in Florida. Like I said, I've had my share of sunburns and I hate to admit it, but I too have had like my tri-tat like sunburn line on my arm in various races where I didn't do as good as I could have with my sun protection. So it happens. I get it. And I mean, I work in dermatology, so I will never be the one to make anyone feel bad if they got a sunburn. It happens. But if we can prevent it, that's best because unfortunately, once you get it, you got it. There's not really much you're going to do to be able to treat a sunburn when you have it. You know, you can try soothing it with various, you know, soothing topical type lotions and creams. Sometimes a mild potency steroid cream can help if it's really painful, but unfortunately you just have to wait until the skin heals itself. The, the part that's probably more concerning is the individual who gets serial sunburns. So they're going out for long rides every weekend and they're coming back with sunburns and sunburns and sunburns. And like I said, you know, 
when you when you're burned, that's your skin cells telling you that there's damage being done to the DNA in those cells. So, you know, the important thing is if you do get sunburned, okay, reflect and think, all right, so how could I have done a little bit better? What could I have done a little bit differently? And as much as I want my transition times <laughs> to be fast, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's honestly just thinking, okay, can I, ten, like 10 seconds, and maybe 10 seconds is more than some people can spare, but if they can just get a little bit of sunscreen on those areas I was talking about, those most important areas, it will significantly decrease their chances of, of skin cancer later in life. Because we know, unfortunately, it's it's the accumulation of sun that we've had that really manifests itself later in life with, with skin cancer. Teresa, thanks so much for joining us tonight on Iron Women. And can our listeners find you anywhere online? And like, maybe are you providing skincare tips along with your race day picks for us? Well, you know, that's something I've actually really considered doing it because I've come to realize that I'm actually a little bit of an anomaly in the sport where, you know, I, I am an active triathlete and also someone who's in dermatology. So, um, I, I don't currently, but I actually am strongly considering kind of morphing my Instagram to something that's a little bit more of a, of a platform where I can share some tips about dermatology, skincare and the sport, because I realize that that's kind of a niche that not a lot of people fill. So I think, I think you guys have, have encouraged me to, to kind of use that platform a little bit more to help and just, you know, I'm happy to answer questions. Um, you know, and I'm sure some people might disagree with some of the things that I said, and I'm always up for, you know, good discussions as well, but yeah, so I'm, I'm on Instagram. Um, that's pretty much what I've got right now. Um, we've got, you know, a good website at, with, through my office, but quite frankly, if someone wants a really good place to go, to get good information. Um, honestly, the, the Skin Cancer Foundation is a great online resource for all questions regarding um, skin cancer, sun protection, sunscreen, et cetera. That's a good, a good resource. Well, we'll be sure to link to the Skin Cancer Foundation and your Instagram in our show notes <laughs> so that people can check it out. I think that's a great plan. Definitely. This is good advice. And as endurance athletes, we definitely can use the advice. So thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. The Iron Woman podcast is proud to be supported by Zelios Skincare. Zelios products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like myself. I know I can count on their high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest, sweatiest days when I'm racing and training. Have the peace of mind to perform at your best without worrying about your skin and hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without include Sun Barrier SPF 45, Betwixt All Natural Chamois Cream, swim and sport shower products, and body lotion. You can get 20% off at teamzelios.com by using the code IRONWOMEN. Yep, you heard it right. Get 20% off your Zelios order with the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com. What do you say, Alyssa? You have camp coming up this weekend. Will you take time to properly apply sunscreen to your lower legs before you get out on those long bike rides. Haley, I definitely am. This like is a like huge moment for me of realization that that is a massive area where I usually miss sunscreening and I definitely have had burns on the, that area before. So I, I'm taking it to heart. I'll be 
putting on my Zelios on, well, on everywhere, I guess that's going to be sun facing, but paying special attention there. So thank you to Teresa for all those great tips on skin safety that we can use all year round. And just a reminder to everyone, we did announce that our Iron Women podcast live is happening at the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials Wednesday, February 26th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. in Atlanta, Georgia. Tickets are available online at livefeisty.com. They cost $20 and they are limited. So definitely check that out and get your ticket before they are all gone. And we'll announce those panel participants in the coming weeks. But it's going to be a very fun time. So fun, Haley. I'm going to start my own little mini countdown to the 26th when I get to see you. This is going to be great. I can't wait. It's going to be a fun reunion. We'll have fun at camp. Alyssa, I hope your voice feels better. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Haley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a Live Feisty Media production.